a game changer for how I practice medicine and how I practice my, my breast surgery for these ladies that have problems with their breast implants. This is gonna get kind of nerdy, but bear with me. Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Microgen Mic'd Up. Um, today, we have uh, Dr. Clayton Molliver with us, uh, plastic surgeon, and myself. My name is Chris Ruff, and I'm our VP of Marketing here at Microgen DX. Dr. Molliver, if we could just start off with you, maybe give a quick introduction for yourself. Um, I think it's a great place to start. Okay, well, thanks. Thanks for inviting me to be on your podcast. I'm pretty excited about it. My name is Clayton Molliver. Uh, I'm a plastic surgeon in Houston, Texas. I'm board certified in general surgery and plastic surgery. My practice is all aesthetics. I'm a clinical professor of plastic surgery, meaning I work with the residents uh, from the University of Texas uh, medical branch in their plastic surgery department. And we write a lot of papers and I do a lot of research, uh, you know, as an add-on to my practice. I'm also on the editorial board for our International Aesthetic Journal, the Aesthetic Surgery Journal. So I'm very involved in research and reviewing papers, and uh, and, I, and I have a busy aesthetic practice as well. So I, I'm, I keep myself pretty busy. Well, that's all great to hear, and we're excited to have you on the show today. You know, Doctor, how did you first find Microgen DX, and what was the reason for searching, you know, for technology like this for, you know, your practice and for your patients? Well, I wish, to be honest with you, I wish I had found out about it earlier, um, but it was the pandemic. The pandemic really kicked us into high gear, uh, trying to find the most expeditious way to test our patients and, and get a result back quickly, uh, easy for the patients, easy for us. And I asked my colleagues, I, I was pointed out to, to Microgen DX, and uh, they came out, uh, the local representative came out and met with me and everything seemed to sink. Uh, it just seemed like the most uh, professional, most uh, expeditious uh, way of, of testing. So that's actually how I found out about it. And then as time went on and I interacted with the, with the company more and more, it just, it just seemed like a natural fit. And that segued into what we're doing now and my, my special interests in, uh, in breast work and, and how it pertains to my, uh, my research interests. So that's how I found out about it. Yeah, that's great to hear. I mean, from, you know, your lens, have you seen a, a significant change, you know, in the way you practice with microgen being a diagnostic tool versus, you know, even traditional cultures that you may have been using in the past? Well, that's a super interesting topic and probably I could talk for about an hour. So you'll have to cut me off at some point. Um, Specifically, in my practice, it's all about breast surgery. In the area of breast surgery, when we put implants in, breast implants, historically, we had problems with them getting hard occasionally or more than occasionally. So in my area of practice and my research, I've been very interested in the breast and breast surgery. And where Microgen fix, fits in is that for many years, we had a problem with capsular contracture hardening of the breast implant and, and around the scar tissue around the implant. And early on, there was a thought, oh, this must be uh, bacterial colonization, a biofilm forming around the implant. And 
the 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 capsule when it was removed surgically was cultured repeatedly for for years and years and years starting in the uh 1980s and it it very rarely if ever i mean like almost zero percent of the time grew anything we never were able to grow anything out and so we still had this capsule contracture problem so the implant company started to make textured implants that's where textured implants came from for those of your listeners that are familiar with breast implants and how they work thinking that the collagen would reorient itself um, to be haphazard around around the textured surface many of us thought that really didn't make sense because collagen lives on a microscopic level and these textured implants is a macroscopic event and lo and behold it you know capsule contraction continued to happen uh, about four or five years ago, some very bright scientists took the capsule around that forms around these implants and took it back to the lab and chopped it all up and ultrasonicated it into tiny, tiny pieces and uh, separated it. And they ran DNA sequencing. And lo and behold, it was not human DNA, which kind of sounds fun, like maybe it's aliens from another planet, but it was bacterial DNA. And lo and behold, that's what it was the whole time. And that's what got me really excited because we, we it, it makes sense. You know, we all know about, and we've heard about our biome, uh, bacteria that live around our bodies. We live in synchrony. We live in, in, uh, in, in harmony with bacteria. Um, it's on our skin. It's in our GI tract. And if it's there, it's sort of everywhere. And we have sort of a delicate balance. When one of those bacteria goes haywire and overgrows, then... Sometimes it gets into the tissues and it, it can cause infection or it can just colonize an area that it's not supposed to be. These, these cultures that we run to labs are, are kind of, you know, 50-year-old technology. And we're still running on 50-year-old technology. Going back to the, the, to the, to the, biop the biopsies, the cultures we ran on these capsules, they came back negative or they came back with nothing worrisome, only probably contamination, skin contamination. And the labs routinely ignore that. Well, it's estimated that 95% of the bacteria that get around implants is skin bacteria, one of three or four different skin bacteria. And that's the ones we're really looking for. And that's the ones they're ignoring and not sending to us. Or they can't pick it up. They're just seeing small amounts of it. They can't really grow it. Again, it's 50-year-old technology. Along comes uh, companies like Microgen DX with really, you know, state-of-the-art DNA sequencing, DNA testing, and they say, oh, no, you know, here it is. This is what you have. You have so many percent of this, so many percent of that, so many percent of this, and now we know what to go after, what to, what to treat the patient with after we've taken out that, that capsule for hardening or for some new problems that are, are, are presenting themselves that are questionable. We don't know what to make of them, so-called breast implant illness. So I'm using DNA sequencing both in, in women that come in with complaints that, that they feel like their implants are perhaps making them ill and for hardened implants. And I'm, I, I'm synergizing that with selecting the correct uh, antibiotics to treat it very purposefully uh, evidence-based medicine instead of just shotgun medicine. So again, I can go on and on and on, but it's been uh, a game changer for how I practice medicine and how I practice my, my breast surgery for these ladies that have problems with their breast implants. 
That, that's all wonderful to hear. And, you know, we love the fact that you've adopted new technology to, you know, kind of pave the way forward for your practice. And, you know, I'm sure you're talking to your colleagues about, you know, how, how you're leveraging Microgen as well. You know, could you help us understand, you know, how you're actually collecting the Microgen DX samples in your practice and your patients? How I'm collecting it is is simple. It's It's a swab in the operating room or immediately after we have the specimen out and we're swabbing the cap, the interior of the capsule and we're swabbing the exterior of the implant because it, these implants have a biofilm over them. So it's really pretty simple. It's part of, you know, every surgeon, plastic surgeon that does breast surgery and takes these implants out. Um, you know, it's easy to do. We just swab it and uh, put it in a, a special swab that looks like a normal culturette, but it's, it's a little bit different. And um, we send it off to the company. The fuller answer is that it's, it's, a, it's, it's research that's in progress. It's sampling these things are, are prone to error. Uh, our orthopedic colleagues, our urology colleagues um, are finding out that there are specific and best practices for culturing these specimens. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm starting some research uh, uh, to look at what are the best practices for culturing them because it's, it can be difficult. It's very difficult on the lab. And, and so we've got a great lab that's working on them. But on our end, how we culture them, how we um, not culture them, but take the specimen is exceedingly important. What we're doing now, how, you know, taking the, the specimen is pretty easy, but we're trying to fine tune it to make it um, more and more precise. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, you know, which leads me to my next question, you know, maybe you could help the audience, um, you know, kind of understand a couple of case studies where, you know, you kind of had that aha moment where you've used microgen versus a traditional culture. And, you know, there was a pathogen present that just kind of blew your mind and it's not something that would have been picked up in a traditional culture. And, how you were able to leverage the microgen technology to not only identify, you know, what type of microorganism was there, but also how to treat that infection with the proper um, antibiotic usage. Of course. So um, not too long ago in the plastic surgery literature, there was some a suggestion that 95% of the bacteria in a capsule contracture case is one of three common skin bacteria. Um, that worked well for me because uh, I've been using a certain uh, combination of two antibiotics to treat those bacteria that I suspected were going to be there most of the time. It turned out to be the, ex the exact same, same ones. I've been using that uh, protocol for about four years now. But from time to time, uh, I would treat people with those, those part, that protocol, and these people would have a new implant placed. We'd do a total capsulectomy, we'd, meaning we'd take out all the, the uh, bacteria-laden um, scar tissue and put a new implant in and, and treat them for six weeks, which is my protocol with these, with these combination of antibiotics. And six months later, they'd have a capsule again, and it's very frustrating. Recently, I had a patient, uh, and I'll tell you, sometimes we see, we see capsules that are kind of nasty looking. We say, this has got to have something in it. And we do routine cultures and they grow nothing. About two months ago, I had a case. Um, it was, it was a, not a very good looking capsule. And I decided not to put new implants in. We were going to take everything out and we're just going to wait. Maybe we're going to do some other technique of breast lift, fat transfer to increase the volume and not put an implant back in. But I did the 
the uh, DNA sequencing and send it off to Microgen. Uh, and lo and behold, it grew out eight, I keep on saying grown out because I've been practicing traditional old fashioned medicine for years. The DNA sequencing revealed eight different bacteria and three different fungi growing within that capsule. I was blown away. In my mind, once the foreign body's gone, and this is well-established surgical science, the body, if it, if it doesn't have an overburden of bacteria or fungus, will usually clear out those things on its own. In the face of a foreign body, be it a, a suture remnant or a splinter or, or an implant, um, the body has a difficult time clearing out bacteria or fungi until you remove that foreign body. So this is a great example of saying, number one, it justified what I saw clinically. And I would not have had that opportunity because I've never seen uh, that diagnosis made before until I started using DNA sequencing. Um, so it just reinforced that there's a lot more going on here. And since then, I, I've had a couple of others where there's multiple pathogens and it would not be uh, amenable to the routine kind of um, antibiotics that cover gram-positive bacteria. We're seeing perhaps E. coli or some or some fungus, and perhaps we put a new implant and, and what have you back in. Now we can adjust our antibiotics to specifically go after those things, and I'm seeing really great results. That's an incredible story, and you know that's what it's all about is you know kind of leaning forward into you know the technology and. You know, it's worst case scenario, doctor, if you wouldn't have found that, there would have been some serious problems, correct? Yeah. I mean, you know, personally, and I alluded to it before, um, we're, we're transitioning to, into not calling it breast implant illness. We're, we're, we're defining a new name for it until it's recognized by our, our medical community with a real diagnosis. But, you know, we, we do see patients that come in with, with previously called breast implant illness who feel like they're, they're not feeling well. And I, I think we're on the cusp of, of finding out what's going on there. And, 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 and me personally, I think that some of them at least, because it's a, first of all, it's a small minority that even have this, this thing, but there's some people that come in and they're feeling ill. And um, I think we're gonna be able to say, oh, look, there's, there's, a, there's bacteria here, it's colonized. It's not an infection, there's no pus, there's no you know, fever, but they, they feel crappy. I think we're going to find out, at least in some proportion of that small minority of, of women that have this, the vast majority do fine. I think we're going to identify more and more with the aid of DNA sequencing, a bacteria, a couple of bacteria, a bacteria and a fungus that, that, that was the etiology. So at least we can point to something and, and say, this was likely what, what this person was hypersensitive to, this inflammatory process. I think that's what's going to happen. There might be some immune modulators, immune component to breast implant illness, but I think it's going to be, um, it's going to be where we're going to be going, at least with this particular problem with breast implants and, and, and breast augmentations and reconstruction. And I think it's going to be relatively easy to diagnose small incision, get a swab in there around the implant and find out what's going on and then, and then make a good plan. So, you know, as far as, you know, kind of moving forward, do you see this, you know, kind of almost becoming a standard of care in your practice? You know, even if an infection isn't present and the Microgen DX test becomes more of like a baseline and you have those records. So say, you know, two, three, four years down the road, 
Um, patient comes back with discomfort. You go in, do another test. Now you have your baseline of a, a healthy patient. And then you could see, um, you know, essentially what is spiked over time and be able to even use that as a more targeted approach if there's any revision or um, in the surgery that needs to happen on like down the road. You know, that's that's an interesting um, observation. And the casual observer would say, oh, well, um, perhaps the company's trying to push this as, as something that should be done all the time um, and more business. But I, the more, I, you know, because we've talked about this previously and the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, that's not it's not a far cry at all. And the re- and, and here's the reason why, and this is going to get kind of nerdy, but bear with me. And, and, and you know, I'm a little bit long winded. Um, when I was in medical school and going through histology, um, you learn about what cells look like under the microscope. Again, ancient technology. I remember our professors saying, oh, here's breast tissue under the microscope. Looks familiar? And we said, yeah, it does look familiar. He says, that's because breast tissue is nothing more than modified sweat glands, which doesn't sound too sexy or too glamorous. But if you look at it under the microscope, it's modified sweat glands. The breast tissue itself all has ducts that go out to every little lobule way out in the periphery. And all those ducts merge and, and, and go all out the nipple. Well, the nipple has ducts, seven to 10 of them, I believe. And those ducts for a bacteria might as well be the Grand Canyon. And so in my mind, I've always felt that sweat glands, and, and this is well known, and, and breast tissue has plenty of bacteria just roaming through it in homeostasis. It's living in harmony with, with your body. We, we have, again, we have bacteria everywhere. If you were to run a swab over my skin, there'd be tons of bacteria, all of us. We're not sterile beings. And when I started thinking about breasts like that, and what we talked about as far as a baseline or, or you know, how this all could work, you know, perhaps some women, when we're putting implants in, we're supposed to, you know, try and stay outside the breast gland, but Look, breast tissue looks very much like fat, and you're going to nick it here and there, and you're going to get into a little bit of breast tissue. Perhaps, you know, when we put a breast implant in, when we do um, certain types of reconstruction where there is some tissue left behind, and there's going to be scattered pieces of breast tissue, even in a mastectomy, perhaps we we are doing um, a baseline, a, a genetic uh, DNA baseline as you've, you've suggested, and I, I thought, you know, that might, that might be an interesting place to start and uh, find out what bacteria they live in harmony with or not, or, and what level and what's the percentage of each bacteria, because that's the information you sent us. This specimen had four bacteria, 60% this one and 40% that one, 10% this one. And we get a baseline and maybe, you know, somewhere down the road, we, we very easily uh, get another sample and see what's going on what are the percentages what's 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 there it might be that uh that breast implants don't live that well in some types of patients and in most patients they just do fine which is of course what we see it it, it, they work fine in the vast majority of women but maybe there's a small percentage that they don't do fine maybe that type of bacterium doesn't do well or that one forms a, a, a biofilm more readily, for example. So I think there's a lot to learn here, and it's going to be very interesting in the next couple of years as um, as we do more and more research with uh, DNA sequencing. 
both as a baseline, as a follow-up. You know, maybe it's standard of care during the surgery to get these specimens to, uh, to better define what's going on on a microscopic level and in a much more advanced way than cultures, which, you know, miss a lot. Yeah, I think, you know, we're aligned with you on the path forward there. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how this kind of develops is with the standard of care in, you know, all specialties. I, so, I think, you know, I, I was really yeah. interested, you know, you guys were telling me about um, women with recurrent urinary tract infections uh, getting DNA sequencing. Uh, and you've you've had really great breakthroughs and um, the orthopedic, my orthopedic colleagues using it for people that have, you know, not an out and out full blown infection, but a colonization, a biofilm forming around orthopedic uh, devices. And, and they're just, they're, they're finding it and they're, uh, this is evidence-based medicine. They're, sh they're showing good evidence. So it's, if it's in one, it's in the other. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see where this all goes. Yeah, we couldn't agree more. And, you know, I, I think as you talk about urology and orthopedics and, you know, there's so many different disciplines, even with wound care where, you know, you use a word like chronic and, you know, stalled out wounds. And, you know, it's, this is giving you the, you know, the, the peak under the, the hood to really see, you know, what is going on and make, you know, great educated decisions for, you know, better patient outcomes. So, you know, doctor, to kind of close out here, you know, wh why would you encourage your colleagues to use Microgen DX? Well, um, you know, it's just, it's just better medicine. It's just better medicine. I, I can I can tell you that if you talk to general surgeons, if you talk to wound care doctors, if you talk to burn burn doctors, burn specialists, plastic surgeons often, and sometimes general surgeons, and my colleagues in plastic surgery, cultures are are are, are super frustrating. Uh, for example, you're often taught that don't even bother getting a culture if someone's on antibiotics because it won't grow, and it won't grow very much of anything. Well. It doesn't matter if you're on antibiotics, if you're doing DNA sequencing, who cares, you know, as long as the culture, the specimen is taken correctly. Um, so I think it's going to, in, in a lot of respects, if not all, it may, it may replace standard culturing like we've been doing for years. And not only that, in, in practices and parts of medicine where we're very concerned about medical devices, we are always being told by our labs uh, nothing of significance grew. Uh, these are likely contaminants. Well, no, these are likely exactly what we're looking for. We're looking for staph epidermidis, which most times they just kind of throw out. They say, well, that's not an, that's not a pathogen. That just lives everywhere. Well, it lives everywhere, but it's not supposed to live inside you. And, and so when we find it there, they just say, oh, you must have contaminated. So I, I think it will become the standard of care. And so when I talk to my colleagues, um, I'm telling them now, you need to really consider DNA sequencing. Um, I, I just, I just think it's going to replace culturing. I, you know, I, I still in my clinic culture a wound, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm right there, about ready to say, well, the heck with that. Uh, I think at scale, the, the, the price will will come down more and more. You guys are very reasonable with your costs. Uh, in the past, it was an expensive test, but you know, the the pandemic has kind of brought to light how we can do. Uh, DNA uh, much more efficiently. So you guys have been on the leading edge of that, and I'm I'm thankful. It's going to be a pretty cool place to to go. Well, that's great to hear, and you know that's uh, us as a company. That's what we've been striving towards is you know to take NGS. You know, you think of that with NGS, and it automatically goes to 
a cancer patient and, you know, exorbitant cost, you know, we kind of pride ourselves. It's like NGS for the rest of us. It's for the masses. This is technology that needs to be in every physician's hand, no matter what specialty that um, they operate in. And, you know, that's why, uh, you know, taking time like this today to talk to you, we can't thank you enough because small conversations like this snowball and the more people that can hear. Let me, let me jump in and say something else. Yeah. One of the things that impresses me, and I, 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 you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm just here to pump you guys along, but one of the things that impresses me and, and also frustrates me is, and most other other people in the medical field will will understand this completely. You, you you take a culture, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and three days later, four days later, they send you back a preliminary culture because literally. They put it on a Petri dish and they look at it and they go, ah, uh, we don't say much. All right, let's just put it back in the oven for a while and let it cook for a while and incubate for a while. And in five days or seven days, you know, we, we get a, a permanent uh, report that we we already know they've missed some or the patient's already gone through, you know, their 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 difficult phase and you, you're 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 shooting with lots of different bacteria you know, antibiotics, which is not great for the patient. We're we're you know hitting everything. We're putting in, you know, very strong antibiotics when we perhaps didn't need it. I sent a culture. I keep on saying culture. I sent a specimen. I have to re- relearn my language um, to you guys. And I mean, 24, 48 hours later, it's a preliminary result. But you can tell me, you know, whether I've got a bacterial load in there. And within a day, I've got a final report. Like a day after that, it's much, much faster and it's much more precise. So I think I think it's pretty cool. Yep, we've definitely listened to uh, you know the physician population, and you know turnaround time is extremely important. So that's why we have our level one report, which gives you um, you know your PCR, so you can see you know that um, bacteria load, and then from there you know we give you the straightforward NGS results where with antibiotic recommendations. So you know, take the guesswork and the shotgun approach out of your hand and give you a diagnostic tool that is something that you can trust just as your patients trust you. When are you going to have the star check uh, recorder or the tricorder so you can just kind of wave it over the patient and get the DNA right there and read it to us? That's what we need. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get there. Let's start with uh, NGS for, uh, you know, the masses and We'll, we'll put that on the, the back burner. And, okay. But, All right. That's, that uh, I, good. I love where your head's at, doctor. So um, can't thank you enough for your time today. We're here for you if you, you, you need anything in the future and looking forward to getting this out to your colleagues. So thanks yeah. again for your time. Thanks for and, uh, inviting me on, on your podcast. I'm, like, I'm liking the fact that you're doing it in this format, and I'm looking forward to hearing other colleagues of mine and in, in areas of medicine. Uh, talk about it some more. Thanks. All right. Take care, doctor. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Thanks for visiting. See you next time.